0: and mp3 downloads and now with this week's teaching Bishop Malcolm Smith the Lord be with you and again let me thank all of our partners who make this possible all those who are listening tonight freely to this message of God's love and salvation do so because of those who love you so much they've invested their prayers and their cash in making this possible so thank you every partner and I want to share now from verse 13 of Matthew 6 and do not lead us into temptation and there are some who see this as one request I see it really as two. And and so I'll say, le- do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But I'm going to deal with that second half later. Of course, they're related, but I see it different. And um, th- this is one of the requests of this prayer that uh, it's misunderstood because people misunderstand what temptation is, but also as a request. I've heard people say, why should we ever ask God, our Father, not to lead us into temptation? And I agree, it, it comes over awkward. But I, I want to dissect this request. Let's fillet it and see what he's really talking about here. And, of course, the very center of the phrase is this word temptation. And that is where many people get off. And so let's look at that for a while. Temptation. What is it? What is temptation? Now, it may be a surprise to some of you that this word, the word in the original language that it was written in, Um, is translated in our Bibles in three different words. And, And those three different words, the first one, if you want to give an order, would be temptation. But the second word in English, which in the Greek language is the same word as temptation, is trial. And the third word, which is the same word in Greek as trial and temptation, is tribulation. And so, temptation, trial, tribulation, though we use them in three different ways, really, essentially, it's the same word in the original language, and it's this word that Jesus has injected into this prayer. And therefore, whatever's happening in temptation, I mean, whatever's happening as far as God is concerned is the same as what is happening in trial, is the same that is happening in tribulation. There might be usefulness in those three words, in looking at something in three different ways, or things that are much more like a temptation, others are much more, we would describe it as a trial, others' uh, tribulation, but essentially what we're getting at here, what this request is about, something is happening in what we call temptation, trial, tribulation. Something's happening, and that's what this prayer request that Jesus taught us to pray is all about. Well, what does this word mean, this one word that we translate in three different ways? It's very interesting. It's not necessarily a negative word, not necessarily. It means to put something or someone, but I mean the original idea is to put something to the test in order to discover what is truly there. And we would use that word quite often, actually, or the idea of that word, the word to put something to the test in order to expose what's really there and to dispose of everything that's not real, not supposed to be there. But, but we need to put it under pressure. We need to test it in order to see what we think is there. Is it really there? And if I'm confusing you, I'm sure you know that uh, before an aircraft is finally released to public use, there are a number of tests that go on. Ah, uh, you you understand? Especially if you come from the Washington area, you know Boeing is always putting things to the test. I mean. You fly that aircraft at 40,000 feet across the Atlantic. You'd better be sure that everything that you believe you put into that fuselage, that that metal that surrounds the plane, you, you believe and all of your designers believe and all of your scientists involved believe that that fuselage will stand up to the pressures of 40,000 feet, but before they release that, they fly to make sure it's not going to buckle under the pressure. They test it. They put pressure, and every other part of the plane is tested for the same thing. We're going to make sure that what we believe is there is truly there and is truly being used to do what it's supposed to do. Testing, that's this word, to test. We um, have persons in in the car industry and their job is to test drive. That is, let's do what we say this car can do to make sure that it can. Let's see... And then we can go to the public and say this is safe. It's been tested. And we put it under pressure not to destroy it. That's not the point at all. We put it under pressure actually to demonstrate its strength. The the persons who stand back and hand over to the test pilot to take that plane off into the air they are excited because they believe that as that plane is now put under pressure and all its parts are used and demonstrated, it will demonstrate just the strength of that plane, demonstrate the magnificence of its parts. It will demonstrate that it can go as far as they said it could go. And and in that testing, it's no longer a blueprint only. It's no longer just an idea that somebody had. It's no longer the work of those who think and draw and plan and tell others to do. No, that's all left behind now. Now, the plane is no longer theory, but it has a proven history. And everything they said about the plane has been proven to actually work. You get it? That's testing. That's, in, I mean, okay, you could possibly use the word, you, you put the plane to trial. You, you put it into a situation that is going to show up its strength. That otherwise would have only been a potential, a possible, a maybe. We hope so. No, now we've put it under pressure. We know so. It's got a history. You see, it's been proven in a trial. Um, That—that's what this word means. When—when when we, uh, it, it's every one of us are tempted. Every one of us are. Put it through trial and tribulation, so we all share this together. We could all bring our stories. We know what this is talking about in terms of the pressures that come upon us but now let's look at it what what's happening in that? What is happening is a glorious positive. those pressures are put upon us, and, and the the purpose of God is that in those pressures being put upon us then the strength of Christ in us is demonstrated. Then the abundance of his love toward us is now discovered into our history. You see? And we come out of that no longer with theory, no longer with verses in the Bible that we hope are true. We've been through a situation, and now we can mark it down in our biography. We've got a proven testimony, a history with God. that's, That's the idea here of a temptation. That's the idea. Now let's look at it even closer. Well, let me say this first, that... I think by now it would say it, but let me say it, that temptation is not sin. And I say that because over the years I have met too many dear, sincere believers who are horrified at their temptations. And the very fact that they're tempted, they're ashamed of their temptations and believe so Wrongly, but they believe that their being tempted is sin. No, Let, let's uh, put that out immediately by reminding all of us that Jesus was tempted, and he was tempted right at the beginning of his public ministry, and it, it That temptation we know about in detail, but at the end, you remember, it says that Satan departed from him for a season. Um, He'll be back, and and you could go through the life of Jesus describing how he was tempted on many occasions. Uh, Even Peter became one of the pawns of Satan to tempt Jesus. You remember when Jesus spoke of his impending death, it was Peter who blustered out, be it far from you, Lord. You're not going to go there. And Jesus, who recognized the voice of the tempter, responded, get behind me, Satan. You remember. And so Jesus was tempted on many occasions. But I say specifically, the one we know so much about was at the beginning of his ministry. Now, in the light of what I've just said, about the meaning of temptation, look at that temptation of Jesus. Well, we'll look at it very briefly. We could spend two or three weeks on it. But first of all, okay, look at Jesus. He, he's about 30 years old. And for 30 years, the Father has been revealing himself to Jesus. So that by the time Jesus was 12 years old, he addressed God as Abba, Father. You remember in the temple when his parents, or uh, supposed parent, uh, he Mary, his mother, but father, father Joseph, the supposed father, he was born of the Virgin Mary, uh, and, and they, they'd lost him. And when they found him, do you remember Jesus? 12-year-old boy said, did you not know I must be about my father? And he used the term there, Abba, meaning daddy. I must be about my daddy God, my father God's business. And so at 12 years old, he has an awareness of the ever-flowing to him love of the father and aware of the ever flowing out of him that love. And it was age appropriate. It was understood as a 12 year old would understand it, but it was there. And so through those years that we know next to nothing about from 12 years old to 30, there was a continual revealing to him of the love of his father. And of course that was totally out of step with the entire Jewish religion of that time. They never called God Father. It would have been near blasphemy to call him Abba. But this teenager, this young man, 20s, he is coming to that realization that God is his Father and uniquely he, though he has an address in Nazareth, he is son. And then at the Jordan, John Baptist is baptizing. And Jesus goes and presents himself, you remember. And John, though unwillingly, but he baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus comes out of the water, it says the heavens were opened. And the voice of the Father came from the heavens and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came and came all upon and into Jesus as never before. And there it was, established, the Word of the Father, the witness of the Spirit. You are a child. You are, in fact, the child. You are the Son of the Father. Marvelous. And the Holy Spirit upon him is anointing him, enabling him, as no other person ever had been, to be Messiah, to be the revealer of the Father, the Father's love. What happened next? It says, and strong language is used, it says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and for 40 days he doesn't eat. And at the end of the 40 days, the Spirit brings him to Satan to be tempted. Now, if you thought that temptation, which comes, of course, in, in form of thoughts that come to us, the, the, the temptation of Jesus must have been, in fact, the in injecting, the shooting of arrows of thought into his mind and imagination. Jesus was tempted. For six weeks, he's been in the wilderness since he heard the voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. God, Father speaking, you are my beloved son. And now, What, what form does temptation take? That that Jesus has now heard, the Spirit witnessed, but now he in his, shall I say, faith in that? You ever thought of that? Jesus had to believe the Father's voice. He had to believe that all that he had sensed during his childhood and teenage and manhood is not imagination. The Father is not his imaginary friend. He has to believe the Father is real, and he really said that. But Jesus, inside our humanity, must Accept that by faith, and so now comes the test. the satanic word says if if you be the Son of God, immediately place doubt you say, here is Jesus, and the Father has declared he's Son of God, the spirit has witnessed. Now comes the word of Satan, if you be the son of God. And, of course, it was in the context of Jesus being hungry after six weeks of fasting, and that's perfectly natural scientific. After 40 days of not eating, you have an extreme hunger because after three days of not eating, essentially hunger leaves you. But it comes back at 21 days, and it comes back at 40 days in like a mad, ravening beast. And, and so Jesus, alone, in the wilderness, and I've been to that wilderness, and it's, it's the most ugh, forsaken place on the planet, uh, and, and he's hungry. And Satan sneeringly puts the question. In, in the situation you are, you're hungry. In this situation, there's something you don't have. There's something you need and you don't have if you're the Son of God. This trumped-up imaginary idea that heaven opened and spoke to you and all there you You say you're the Son of God and you're hungry. You say the Son of God and you have need. Good grief, if you're the Son of God, you see. And I could keep going, e- each temptation spoke directly to everything that had been spoken by the Father and by the Spirit into Jesus. And now Satan is, is questioning, doubting, sneering, the pressure, the pressure to which Jesus continually returned to what his Father said. Not only what the Father said to him, but other parts of Scripture that undergirded what the Father said to him. He refuses to debate Satan. He refuses to try to overcome the thought. He just simply states, this is who the Father is. This is what the Father does. And this is who I am in my relationship to the Father and to the Spirit. And he overcame and it says he returned to the galilee in the power of the spirit it was different to when he went in now he has a track record that will be played out in what we know of the ministry of jesus but but he couldn't go into his ministry until he had that history until it was not just a word witness within him but had been under the pressure, and under the pressure he had been present to the Father, not to the satanic voice. So let's look at it again. Satan tempts us, and Satan's design in so doing is for evil. Satan can only lie. That's who he is. Jesus said so, John 8, 44. Satan is the original lie slash liar. He cannot be any other. And therefore, said Jesus in John 10, that he comes to kill, he comes to destroy the works of God, comes to steal it away from us, he cannot be any other. That's who he is. And so his temptation falls around that, that we believe his lies, that we uh, let him steal from us who we are in the love of God. But the Holy Spirit uses that temptation. We're in this world, and in this world, this world pressures us. We're flying at 40,000 feet, you see, and it's pressuring us. But the Spirit uses that That which was meant for evil, he turns to good every time. Temptation is used to reveal to myself and to reveal within me and to reveal to the spirit world who I truly am in my relationship to the Father. and to reveal in me the reality, the tangible reality of the strength of Jesus Christ. And I come out of temptation. Now with an established knowledge, with a knowing knowing, with with, with a track record, with a personal history, of God's love to me under extreme circumstances. I come out knowing the unlimited limits of God's love toward me. I come forth having actually lived in this organic union with Christ my life. I have proven that I live, yet not I but Christ, because I was put under the pressure And I didn't try to answer it in my own strength and I didn't draw upon my willpower, but I drew upon the life of Jesus Christ within me through the Spirit, declaring the love of God that never fails. You see? Now, in temptation, other things happen. Remember, the reason for the test Is to show the reality that is present in that which is being tested and we want to know the unreality we want to know what was just a figment of our imagination we want to know that then we can repair it and so temptation in the process of temptation it will bring to the surface all that is inconsistent with the life of Christ within me—that otherwise I would have been blind to—I—I I, I didn't notice it. I thought I was a jolly good chap. I really thought I had this Christianity stuff by the tail. And temptation reveals—I hardly know what I'm talking about—and that's positive. That's marvelous. Oh, it hurt. Good grief, it hurt in more than one area. But now, I not only know my weakness, I am driven afresh to depend upon Christ my life. Okay, let's look at another famous temptation that I think will help us here. Peter. Peter at the Last Supper. That is probably the most famous temptation. Everybody knows that. Well, Do you know the whole story? Let's take it piece by piece. Jesus has said at that Last Supper, hours just, I mean, hours, well, just a couple of hours, really, before Gethsemane, before the cross sufferings begin, and they're in the upper room, and and he has just celebrated the first Holy Communion, and he's speaking to them earnestly. And he looks around at them and he said that you're, you're all going to forsake me in just a couple of three hours. You're, you're going to leave me. A- and Peter, ho oh, ho. Peter stands up. And if you could get this picture, it's not a nice one. Peter stands up and he, here's the 11 disciples. Judas has already left a- and, and Jesus. And Peter looks around at the other 11 or 10. I mean, they've been buddies for three years. They've been close in their following of Jesus. And and Peter looks at them and then looks at Jesus and said, all these will leave you. That is, they're a bunch of wimps and they don't care. They don't love you. But I, I won't. Oh, no, you can count on me, Jesus. I'm with you to the end. Huh. I, I don't doubt his sincerity, but it was sincere arrogance. It was pride. And, and it was the most excessive form of unlove, demeaning, despising almost the other fellows there, shaming them in front of Jesus. I mean that, no. and, and and we're not talking about something quote worldly. This was in his uh, speaking of his love and faith in Jesus. I mean, if, if there's such a thing as religious arrogance, <clears throat> religious pride, this is it. And Jesus tells him that before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. You, Peter. Yeah, the the others will forsake me, but you are going to go... You're going to deny you ever knew me before this night is out. And Luke, in his account, gives us further words. He said that Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. said. Satan, that's interesting. Satan has decided. It means that Satan just can't go around doing what he wants. He had to have some sort of permission. And to sift Peter like wheat. Um, today, of course, all things are different with our machinery. But when I was growing up 200 years ago, we, we took the wheat the kernels of the wheat and we would beat it and 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 then would blow it with a fan and the, the wind of the flan would blow away the chaff that's the outer shell blow it away and you'd be left with the real McCoy you'd be left with the real grain of wheat and that that's exactly what happened in Bible days and that's what he meant that Peter there's such Oh, there, there's a work of God in you, Peter. There's there's the wheat of heaven inside of you. I have put into you wheat. But there's an awful lot of chaff, and I'm ju- just hearing it right now, just a lot of dead, dry stuff that's, well, it's it's Satan has desired me. Might sift you it, it will be like a beating, but the result is that the chaff will leave you and you'll see you'll see what all of us sitting at this table can see right now, but your' blind is a bat to it, but we'll, you'll see it and in seeing it be released from it. And then Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not that is you've got to go through this peter and I, i'm i'm i feel for what's going to happen to you in going through it because you're going to discover yourself as well as discover what the real thing is but i have prayed for you i'm upholding you that your faith fail not and then he said and when you're turned around when all this is over and you've seen yourself and you've seen what salvation really is and you've seen who you really are then you'll be able to strengthen your brothers then when you stand up and look at them it will not be to demean them but encourage and uphold them and strengthen them and of course you know the rest of the story peter did not heed the warning no he i mean as far as Peter was concerned, Jesus was a bit off there and got it right. Obviously, Jesus doesn't know who I am. Um, and, and so he marches off after Jesus. Um, when Jesus is arrested, Peter does not run away with the others. And he, he, he's found right there in the middle of all potential temptation. Oh, Peter, if you'd have listened to the warning, you wouldn't have been here tonight. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, before all of that, Jesus again warned all of them, watch or be alert and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. But he fell. Oh, yeah, he royally fell. He denied that he knew Jesus. And when he realized it, oh, can you imagine this chap who was... uh, despised others because he's so much better than them and now he sees he's worse than all of them. And, and, And it says he went out and he wept bitterly. He's broken. My God, who am I? What have I done? But when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, go tell my disciples and Peter. Because right now Peter doesn't think he's a disciple. No. Peter was now in a position for the first time to be a real disciple because now he knows exactly the way things are He's discovered himself discovered that he crumbled under pressure he became other than he really was that wheat inside of him but now Jesus said now now we know who you really are now you can see my life in you you see If there's no wheat inside of us, if we're not believers, if the Spirit of God has not built into us the very life of Christ, if if that's not so, we can't be tempted. Do you realize temptation is only for believers? If you're being tempted, that is proof that you're, you're a believer. I mean, they, put it this way, they don't take Cessna planes up to 40,000 feet. They weren't built for that. were never meant for that. They only take the planes up there for testing that were meant to fly there. They only take the ships out to the sea that are meant for that. Test them. You you realize you're being tempted because you're not of this world. Satan doesn't tempt his own. <sighs> Did you understand Sinners aren't tempted to enter the darkness. They're there already. Unbelievers are not tempted to doubt the love of God. Unbelievers don't believe the love of God anyway. No, you see, temptation establishes the fact that we're not of this world. That's why the temptation's there. And that's why we feel... All those inner turmoils in temptation because we are being enticed by the darkness using some point, focal point that we call the thing that tempts us. We're being enticed, we're being pressured by the darkness to be other than we really are. Did you hear that? Temptation is calling you to be someone other than you truly are in Christ. And therefore, in temptation, we realize we're not of this world. I don't want to go there. I? I don't want to go there. And there, there, there's this seduction, there's this enticement. I'm, I'm being sucked into a field of energy I don't want to go there because I don't, that's not me anymore. I, I am one with Christ and Christ is one with the Father. The Father's in Christ and Christ is in me and I am in him. That's my home. That's the field of energy, the Holy Trinity energy. That's my world. That's my life. And the new I don't belong here, and so this call, this sucking, is proving to me that's not you anymore. you neither want to go there, you don't belong there, it's inconsistent with who you are, however much your flesh is panting to go there. you don't the center of your person, where the spirit lives within you, it's not you, it's not you. What are you going to do with that? Well, I said, Jesus prayed. Peter, that his faith failed not. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, it speaks of temptation as the testing of our faith. Now, please hear me, this could change your life. Temptation is the testing of your faith, not your willpower. Temptation is never meant to be answered by your willpower, but by your faith in the love that the Father has to you, by your faith that Jesus Christ lives within you, is your life, is your strength, is your wisdom. Faith in the Holy Spirit empowering you in the hour of of need, as well as in the rest of life, because temptation always comes. There, there are certain absolutes. They're, they're always there with temptation. In, in the moment of temptation, you have no feeling of his love to you. It's just a, a blank. It's it's. That's it. You don't feel the love of God towards you. You you do not feel that He is with you. You, you do not feel the power of the indwelling Jesus, the empowerment of the Spirit. You don't feel the great throbbings of God's power within you. You feel very weak and very helpless. But I say it's not your willpower. You don't answer temptation by willpower. You answer by faith and you declare at this very moment I am in the very heart of God love. At this very moment the Father embraces me in love. At this very moment Jesus Christ you are my life. You dwell within me. And at this very moment, I turn not to my ability and my flesh and my willpower. I turn to you, Lord Jesus, that you be my strength to answer. You be, and fill in the blank, whatever it is. You be that to me now. You're my life. And so you come through that because as you move into that faith, the temptation essentially collapses. It's shredded. It's over. Because your faith now has been established. That's who you are. You say you are not your feelings. You're not your thoughts. Please hear this. This is terribly important. You're not your. You're not your feelings. You do know that, don't you? You're not your thoughts. They change from minute to minute. You. Christ in you feeling it or not able to think about it or not that's who you are and now in a temptation you have established that, rested in that and realized that he within you has carried you through you have a track record now a testimony, a personal history you see Behind every temptation, and there's a multitude of um, temptations, I mean, Uh, they come in all shapes and sizes and colors, Um, but really and truly, there's only one temptation, only one. All temptation is after one thing. And that is that you abandon your faith in God's love and in your union with Christ, your life. That's it. Every temptation is calling you to become an independent operator. And so the response of Thousands of believers to temptation is to say no. I won't do that. I won't. Do- no, no. I will not do that. Grip my teeth. I'm going to try. I'm going. I will please God in this. I'll show Him, like Peter, you say. I- I'll show Him. I love Him. I won't do this. No. Well, of course, you you fail. You fail. Why? Because you that, that was your willpower. Your willpower is not even being tested. What is being tested to to draw out of you that you might see who you are, that the spirit world might see who you are? You are the beloved of God. You declare that. It's not your strength. You have none. That's an illusion. Human, true human, we were created to be in union with Christ. Christ is your strength Christ is your wisdom Christ is your life and so under pressure we don't say I'm going to try out prove to you I like no don't be daft no you you realize Christ is my life Lord Jesus you answer this temptation not I but Christ and of course when a person fails when when what they thought was faith just buckles under because they, they turned and tried and had faith in their own self-will to be lovers of God or whatever. When they fail, the same voice that told them to try hard now looks at them with disdain and says, do you realize what you've done Good grief, man. How can you ever say God loves you after what you just said? How can you think that God loves you after what you have done? You are guilty, and you are so guilty because you knew better, didn't you? You knew better, and you're so guilty. Go hide, man. Go hide. You can't face God. He'll be mad with you for doing what you've done. What a worthless wimp you are, that after all he's done for you, look what you did to him. He's obviously abandoned you now. Any of that familiar to you? Believe me, it's common to the body of Christ that, that... Did you understand? And then... At that point, yes, you, you, you failed in the temptation, or maybe did you? The question's still there. Because at that point, with my head buried in the mud, I can blow bubbles through the mud and say, but I know he loves me. He never leaves me, even here. And Christ is my life, and I'm up and out of here. Let me put it another way the one thing that temptation all temptations in common the one thing temptation is calling us to be present to the flesh you understand to be to be present to be aware to be alert to the flesh because temptation appeals to the flesh and, and present to the flesh, I feel what the flesh is responding or wants to respond to the temptation. And then, that same flesh that is trying to respond to temptation, same flesh becomes religious and tries not to. Um, and, And behind every temptation whatever it is it really doesn't matter because what it's trying to do is to to make you present to your flesh and then present to the point or the focus of the temptation whatever it is and of course at that point you've already drowned in the thing we overcome temptation by being present to Christ, and to the Father whom we know through Christ, through the power of the Spirit. That is, I be present. I choose to be present to Jesus Christ, Lord of all, and to the Father, and to the Spirit. And in that fashion, be present to my true new self. Recognizing my flesh was crucified with Christ and has no more say in what I do. This, I have seen this. I've known it. You can be so pressured by temptation with cold sweat running down your neck, even the trembling of the body, And of course at that point you are very present to the temptation and you're very present to your flesh. And by that deliberate choice of faith that says, Lord Jesus, I am present now to you in the Holy Spirit and in you I'm present to the Father. And in that moment the temptation collapses. It cannot exist in the light of His presence. And so in this business of temptation, you could say that we're polishing the mirror so that we have a clearer image of who the Holy Trinity is toward us, who we are, in our union, oneness with Jesus Christ. We walk away strong. We now know who we are. We know the absolute reality of flesh cannot please God and was crucified with Christ. We're not going to trust the flesh, you see. And so after... We've come through the temptation, however we came through it. We, we came through, in the end, trusting in Jesus as our very life. And afterward, like Peter, we can strengthen our brothers. Before that, we were quite useless because we we just blethered. You know that word, blether? It's a great Irish word, blithering. Oh, just, just a pause out of your mouth. It's all emptiness, emptiness. You're blowing the wind out through your mouth. No. You know, some who who go to Bible school and they come out with all, you know, A-plus and honors and the rest of it, but you've got to prove it, see? Great theory. They gave you an A-plus on theory, but it's only in these pressures, these testings that we discover who we really are. And that what was theory we now, it enters in, it becomes the very weave of our spirit becomes who we are. And it's interesting that most of the time, temptations, once thus we see Christ our life and Christ our victory, um, that's the end of that temptation, we don't, we're not tempted there anymore. And so the request, I'd better get there before we finish. In the light of all that, lead us not into temptation. It's a request that acknowledges this dependence. It's acknowledging that I I can't face temptation apart from the strength of God in Christ that comes as I ask in prayer. And he's not waiting till the temptation. He's very aware. As he shares these requests with us, the awareness is temptation is inevitable in some way or another. It's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week, but it's going to happen. And so I'm aware of that. And it comes into my praying that I'm dependent upon you. Watch over my path, watch over where I'm led. Watch over. Don't let me be stupid to place myself in the the midst of temptation. Watch over me. Don't let me go and stand with a group of godly soldiers around a fire in a day that I'm weak as a kitten. No. Watch over me. Be my wisdom. That's what he's praying. And 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 when I am there, when temptation is there, don't let me go into temptation. That's the key here. Don't. Lead us not into temptation, we'll be surrounded by it, but don't let me be sucked into that energy field, don't let me get into its clutches, don't let me listen to, as I say, what is underneath every temptation that now God has forsaken you, you're on your own, He's not answering, He's not listening, Christ is not your life. Or, what Satan said to Jesus, if you're the son of God. or All that stuff you heard in the New Testament, ha, sure doesn't look like it now, does it? <laughs> if you're a child of God, what are you doing? And so on. Don't let me get in. Don't let me believe that. Don't let me believe the lies. Don't let me get into temptation. Rather, as Jesus said to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, as they were literally minutes before the greatest trial, temptation of their life he says, watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation notice what he said enter into temptation same words that he uses here and watch, it means be alert we, we have um, a little Yorkie dog, Yorkshire terrier and, um he really believes he's either a mastiff or a great Dane or something um, but whenever we will go out well do I have to go out he, he's continually on alert you know he I, I watch him his ears are up I mean he he's They're like great radars that catch every sound. And his nose is going backwards and forwards so far. He's totally alert, and he's watching, watching, watching. Um, And he's thus ready to take on the world. That's the meaning of this word when Jesus says, Watch, be on the alert. You are going to be surrounded by enemies tonight. Don't sleep through it. Now, don't go there with brain fog. Don't walk into life like an idiot. Don't, don't try and handle this by the seat of your pants. Watch. Be aware. And be aware of who you are. And be aware of, of the love of God. To wa- Watch. Pray. Lest you enter into... Deta- That's dependency, you see. That's Dependency. That is saying, I I have no desire for what temptation will offer me, but I'm helpless by myself, as I should be. I was created to thus be helpless by myself and to be in total dependence upon the love strength of God who is Christ within you by His Spirit. So we don't place ourselves willfully into temptation. We don't volunteer to be tested. You might think that's weird, but it isn't. I know many Christians who have arrogantly said, well, God has delivered me from X, Y, Z, so now I'm going to go into that situation and and prove I've been delivered. That is forbidden in Scripture. No, lead us not into temptation. I'm not going there... When I do go there, because I, I'm, I'm, I've come into that energy field. When I do, I'll be in total dependence upon the Holy Spirit, who shall reveal Christ, my light, and thus imprint into that darkness the very person of Jesus. I'm not volunteering. No, lead me not into temptation. I have no strength except to be given to me by. Christ my life nor do we arrange our own testings no it was the Holy Spirit that took Jesus into the wilderness even Jesus didn't go looking for the devil so I, we we have not finished this and I hadn't planned on it but I, I think now we're going to take another week on this it's of tremendous importance I, I hope We've thrown some light on this tonight. Be see, be aware of who you are. You are this fantastic person, Christ your life. Which means in yourself you have no strength. Rejoice in that. Turn cartwheels over it. It's a marvelous thing, you say, to know that without Him I can do nothing. Isn't that marvelous. Entering into the nothing, nothing. You can do nothing. I remember the day when, do you remember, um, when Jesus said to the rich young ruler what he said, and the rich young ruler goes away, and the disciples were amazed. They said, well, if he didn't, who then can be saved? Do you remember that? And it says, Jesus looking on them said, with men it is impossible. And I remember the day that hit me. Jesus said, it's impossible for me to live this Christian life. The only way it can be lived is his strength in me. What a relief. I lived in that for weeks. Impossible. Jesus said, it's impossible. So I'm, I'm not going to look to my flesh self and say, do a jolly good job. Come on, old chap, you can do it. You can do it. Try harder. What would Jesus do? Think of it. Come on, you can. No any arising within me that I can produce this Christian life, laugh at it. Jesus told me it's impossible. 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 Without me, said Jesus, you can do nothing. Hey, some people are more scared at what I've just said than rejoicing. Yeah, you... You can't do this. And you see, it's temptation that brings you more and more and more to realize that. And therefore, you become stronger and stronger and stronger because you you learn with all temptation. It's Christ who is my life. It's Christ who overcomes. And facing temptation, I make no reference to myself. I be present to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are the answer to this. And I'll close. And some of you have read this in, I I think it was my book, The Lost Secret of the New Covenant, or whatever they're calling it today. Um, It was a, a young chap in Brooklyn. He was a Puerto Rican boy. And like so many others that I was working with at that time, he had a history of drug addiction. And he had come to know Jesus, as many others had, and many others had come through. They they were delivered from the addiction, but this poor fellow wasn't. At least, I mean, he, he was forever coming back and, and trying to repent and get saved again, which we, I know you don't do it that way, Jose, but um, finally, and it, it was one of those things that the Holy Spirit revealed to me while I was talking. Because I was concerned here, what was wrong with this fellow? It couldn't shake off the drugs, and and so I, I said, Jose, what do you what do you do when you're tempted to to get high, or wh- whatever you you do with drugs? Or what 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 happens? And he looked at me as if I was crazy. He said, Well, of course I. He said, When I'm tempted, I say no. He said, no, I won't do it. He said, he said, Pastor, you've got to know I try not to. I struggle with this. And it, it, it fails. And in that moment, it was sort of a shaft of light. I said, Jose, never say no to temptation. Say yes to Jesus. I said, you by your no are actually being present to the temptation, present to the tempter. Now, ignore that. Don't don't try and fight it. Don't try and argue or debate it. Just turn and be present to Jesus and say, yes, you are my life. And in your strength, I walk away from this. That set Jose completely free and became one of the most exciting young chaps in in the church. And I've used that a thousand times since to bring people to see you. It's not our struggles to say no. It is the essence of this request. In my dependency, in my chosen helplessness, I recognize that it's only in the Father that I find my life and the Father has given to me Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Well, there it is. Lead us not into temptation, but there's more to say. And so I'll come back next time and pursue this request. And now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father. And the Son and the Holy Spirit, His blessing be with you now. Opening the eyes of your understanding to see the reality and the fullness, the organic union that you have with Jesus Christ, Son of God through Holy Spirit. That you are now present to the Father's love. And in that strength, overcome the world. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is. Amen.